Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So how's it going? How was your Labor Day? Are you happy to be back uh, at I'm work? Ha- I am happy that fall is here because it's my favorite season. Um, my pepper plants are producing enormous amounts of chili peppers. I made mm. some fantastic roasted garlic and chocolate habanero salsa oh, over the good. weekend. So I'm feeling like I'm winning. And my fantasy football team is pretty great. I don't have any really good running backs, but in the in the world of sports ball, uh, football is returning. So that's fantastic. How about you? Okay. How was your Labor Day? I mean, it was pretty chill. There was a lot of school supply buying and backpack negotiating like we had a lot my son and I had a lot of conversation about what kind of ridiculous character I don't understand he went on his backpack we finally settled on one and it broke on the first day of school <laughs> no what was the do you mind saying what the character yeah, was yeah it was first it, he wanted Ninjago and then the Ninjago one that arrived was like too tiny and so then we got a Paw Patrol but the Paw Patrol one he was so excited and like he woke up at 6 in the morning like is my Paw Patrol backpack here yet I'm like no he said go check I said and you know does it come? Things don't arrive at six o'clock in the morning. So all day checked it and arrived and he like brought it out to someone's house for dinner. Like he was just so excited. He was showing everybody. And then first day of school arrives. He's pumped. There's nothing in it. You know, it's like totally pumped. And then uh, he comes home and it falls apart. <laughs> so we got a, We ordered a Captain America one and, I'm, and he's like, when does it come? And I said, next week. And he said, um, is that a long time? And I'm like, <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> but probably, yes. Anyway. To a little person, yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, that's, you know, that's like, take that little story times like a million, and that was my Labor Day weekend and first day of school. It was like 45 things like that. <laughs> so, yeah, great to be back. <laughs> Super great to be back. Well, this week's top lines, the Democratic primary is a little bit of a snooze, but we've got some polling on what the Democratic primary is about. Then we've got Trump's job approval inching downwards. We'll take a look back at the summer of Mr. 43%. Then we'll do a deep dive on the issue of the week, which is guns. We will sift through all the latest polling on the issue from red flag laws to assault weapons bans and more. And we will wrap up with some pumpkin spice polls because it's that time of year again. Yes, or at least well, the polls will help us figure out if it's that time of year. <laughs> so this first poll up we've got on the Democratic primary, because as we mentioned in the top lines 30 seconds ago, there has not been a ton of movement. You know, last week you had a bunch of new national Democratic primary polls come out. You had the whole Monmouth thing, um, which I had. A, I, I loved getting to talk to uh, Patrick Murray at Monmouth on the serious show this past week. Um, so, you know, but last week was like Democratic primary poll mania. This week, pretty sleepy. Um, and so the main poll we have is this HuffPost YouGov one, which asks people, how well would you just say each of the following describes the Democratic primary? Um, is it a choice between prioritizing the candidate most likely to win and the candidate with the best policies? And a majority say yes, that describes the primary at least somewhat well. Only a quarter say it describes the primary very well. This is kind of asking people to play pundit a bit, which 
I actually think if you go to a place like Iowa can work because when you talk to voters in a state like Iowa, they are hyper aware of this presidential primary. But when I've been doing focus groups in places that are not Iowa, <laughs> um, people are less checked in and I think think less like a pundit. So I wonder how these results would differ um, along those lines. You also have, is this is this primary about a choice between liberals and moderates? Is it a choice between mobilizing the Democratic base and reaching out to swing voters? Is it a choice between an older and a new generation? And you have majorities of Democratic primary voters saying at least somewhat yes, but less than a quarter saying like, de- yes, definitely, this is, this is very well describes what the primary is about. Yeah, I mean, these questions are interesting, uh, you know, because these are things we want to know the answer to, but we're not sure if people will be able to respond or not. Um, but you could still ask, and the answer is is potentially illustrative. And, and we talk about these kinds of questions before, like, you know, who would you prefer? Would you prefer, you know, a candidate who shares your values or a candidate who's the most progressive or a candidate who can beat Trump versus a candidate who can't beat Trump, but I guess is the implication in you know, uh, and I always have a, a little bit of a bone to pick with them. I, yet at the same time, I understand them and I also find them interesting and useful too. So they're they're tricky because you can't fully get the full breadth of trade-offs and lines of inquiry with these questions because people are, you know, resp- you know, these phrases mean different things to be different people. And here we're not asking about what people want specifically, but what kind of the big, how they view the primary generally, how they view sort of the conversation about the primary, which, you know, takes it into a different direction that, may, you know, as you say, people may not really be thinking about. And I think, and maybe maybe I'm not thinking about this right, maybe you disagree or agree, is these questions, it's almost as if people, it's it's assuming that everybody ha- agrees on which candidate is most likely to win and which candidate has the best policies. And we're just trying to decide in a primary which we prefer. But people may have different points of view, and not may, they will have different points of view on who's most likely to win or who has the best policies to assume that not only that those are mutually exclusive or not the same, one, two, that there's agreement on who fits into or, you know, what those different buckets mean and who fits into them, I think, you know, maybe assumes too much for these questions. Take, you know, aside from the fact of, you know, whether or not people are paying attention or can sort of explain these but um but it's still interesting regardless that the older versus younger or newer older generation or newer generation is lower down the list in terms of how well people think that that describes the primary that's a little bit lower or between fighting fire with fire and taking the higher road you know that one's a little bit lower down the list so you know i also so, feel like that one's a little esoteric like <laughs> what does it mean exactly right i mean we know what that means that means you know like someone who's going to you know is like wants to kind of get into like a bruising fight with trump versus sure. has like some I guess, you know, taking the high road, they go low, we go high kind of thing. But yeah, what does that mean operationally? You know, this isn't, this isn't clear, but, but it's okay because these questions are not meant to be super specific. They're meant to get your sense of what the narratives are. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it, it totally captures it, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting new format for this type of question that we haven't seen before, I don't think. So something that has also, uh, 
not changed a ton um, in addition to the Democratic primary is the president's job approval, um, still hovering about 42.6 percent approve, 54 percent disapprove. But this is it. It has shifted by about a point over the last couple of weeks. His approval used to be at or just a notch above 44 percent. And now I mean, this is it is not nothing. And again, it's it's the aggregation of a lot of different polls. Um, There was an article. I think this was New York Times reporting may have been The Washington Post sort of trying to look at was this a lost summer for Trump Um, that, you know, if he had any opportunities to try to drive any sort of agenda during August, did he do so? It does not appear so. And his job approval numbers sort of reflect that, that as of the last you know couple of weeks, there's been a little bit of slippage. It is nowhere near the lows that he experienced during the government shutdown, um, but it's it's not trending in the right direction as of the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean it's uh it, you know it's consistent with what we've seen in you know the general election matchups. There were a few that came out yesterday, but the ones that were came out in August that you know consistently show Trump behind a variety of different potential. Democratic nominees. I mean, I find this like, oh, is it a lost summer because he's not sort of pushing an agenda? I mean, his agenda has always been sort of like, you know, erratic tweets, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, you know, he. it's never been infrastructure week. It's always been like crazy tweet week. Um, but it, there is this sort of media narrative that he has become more erratic, uh, you know, more unhinged, you know, harder to pin down, less, le- you know, more likely to to kind of, you know, veer off track. I, it's It always seems so high to me that I, I don't, like, I, I don't see it as, like, something really new has happened, but I know that close Trump watchers feel that there's been some kind of new pace of, you know, his Trumpiness. Um, but I, I don't know if voters are responding to that or if they're responding to the coverage or... You know, or they just feel like, in general, they're getting tired of the tired of the show. Or is it the economy? I mean, the economy's had a rough right. couple of weeks um, as the trade war heats up. The stock market does not has not reacted well. There are questions about whether the trade deal with Canada and Mexico are actually going to go through once Congress comes back. So, you know, there's even if even if you're not paying attention to the tweets, there are other reasons to be a little more concerned about the outlook in the future. Yep. All right, well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive into the issue of the week, which is guns. So stay tuned here on The Pollsters. We'll be right back. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Okay, so we're back, and we're digging into one topic. uh, And the topic this week is guns 
Obviously, there have been a variety of mass shootings in the past couple weeks, uh, and that's in addition. We picked this topic before the news um, came out about Walmart and Kroger changing their rules about open carry and and what they sell. Um, so there's been a lot of news on guns in the in the last couple of weeks. So it seems pretty timely. And there have been a couple of different recent public polls over the last two months or so that uh, you know since I've been studying this issue, which has been for a while, you can see the I think the public polling becoming a little bit more sophisticated and extensive on this, um, asking more than one or two questions, asking a variety of questions. The policies that people are asking are different than what they used to be. It used to be that you would just see one or two policies and they were tracking from, you know, kind of a decades ago conversation. Uh, So you see a little bit more texture and richness in the public polling and and there's a variety of different topics that it covers. So we're going to go into a few of those. Um, it, I think the first one is and uh, is this like just sort of the broader question of should we have stricter or stronger gun laws or not? And lots of people have asked this different ways. Gallup used to ask it, or I guess they probably still ask it in like a three-point way, you know, stronger, less strong, kept the same. Those are the three. Maybe they word it differently, but those are the three different categories. Um, And then other folks do it stronger. Do you favor stronger gun laws? You know, strongly support, somewhat support, somewhat oppose, strongly oppose. So there's a four point without a, like a midpoint of sort of keep the same. It's just how do you feel about stricter gun laws? Uh, And that's how, you know, morning consults ask it. That's similar to how Quinnipiac asked it. And, uh, you know, when I look at this, I, I'm, you know, kind of amazed and I, and I don't know if part of it is the tread line, to coin a phrase, or part of it is um, how or a difference in the question wording. But you have clear majorities who support stronger gun laws, stricter gun laws and stricter, you know, has a little bit more of a like, you know stricter as opposed to stronger, right? Stricter sounds like a little bit more. If you're opposed to these kinds of laws, you might have more reaction to the word stricter. Even with the word stricter in there, uh, you still see clear majorities say that they support stronger gun laws. So in the Quinnipiac poll, 60% say that they support that, including 30% of Republicans. You know, the, the reason that that's so high is because there's more support among Republicans and independents and no opposition to that among Democrats. So 30 percent of Republicans support stricter gun laws, according to this question. A majority of independents do. And that number, you know, hasn't really gone up. They have a you know trend over the last couple of years. It hasn't really gone up. It's been kind of in the 50 to 60, mid 50 to 60 range this whole time. So it's not, you know, kind of a new high. I think at a time, there was a time when people saw gun law opinions to just kind of move in the wake of mass shootings and then return to previous levels. I'm not sure if that's still true. It could be that there's there's more askings about guns. It could be that there are more mass shootings. It could be overall change in public opinion. It doesn't really seem that that's like that there was kind of a, a boom and bust in gun opinion that it's, it's you know, seems to be kind of stable and building rather than being more volatile. Um, although Martin Consult shows that they have a, a slightly more say that they support uh, stricter gun laws in their question, also asked in a very similar way than they had in, in like the past year, um, with some interesting 
you know, similar demographic breakouts by party, obviously, where Democrats are going to be a lot more supportive and, and very few are going to oppose and Republicans are going to be more clearly opposed, but a little bit more support than Democrats oppose. And, and also some differences by gender and party. So, you know, you have Republican women a little bit more likely in some of these questions to support stricter gun laws than Republican men, independent women more likely than independent men, that there's a gender difference that transcends party. That's been true for a while, but you see it in some of these polls that release their cross tabs. And I think the last point here is, and then Kristen, if you want to add uh, or we'll go on to the next one, is, uh, you know, Democratic gun owners are, I mean, there's this kind of you know, narrative that gun owners oppose it. Well, you know, we can't do this because gun owners are really opposed to it. Well, it's Republican gun owners who are more opposed. Um, But even then, you know, Democratic gun owners are supportive of stronger gun laws. But even among Republican gun owners, you know, it's, you know, 54% oppose stricter gun laws. It's not overwhelming. You know, it's, 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 you know, a slight majority, a bare majority. So, and that's just of Republican gun owners. So this sense that, you know, the, you know, that there's, you know, maybe some national movement towards stronger gun laws, but there's a really vocal, small opposition, you know, it's, it's not even pervasive among Republican gun owners. It's something, it's not even really super pervasive among Republican men, but that's where there's a little bit more, you know, that is where there is more opposition, but it's not overwhelming. So, uh, you know, I think it's worth not looking at just the overall, but the subgroups, because I think that pokes some holes in the narrative about kind of where the country is on this. So my my big takeaway from this, one, a, a lot of the polls we're discussing in this block were ones that came out a couple of weeks ago. So they came out in the aftermath of El Paso. Um, and, uh, there, you know, there was the weekend where you had multiple horrific mass shootings all at once. And so that was where sort of the last time that the polling world sort of dipped in to, to see what opinion was. Um, so these are all a couple of weeks old. There has not at this point been a, any public refreshed data um, to see. So, you know, presumably a couple weeks from now, we can check back in on this issue and see see where things stand. For me, the biggest theme is that while you have sort of majority support around an awful lot of different things that are proposed in, you know, that are mentioned in the morning consult poll, that are mentioned in the Fox News poll, um, there have been a couple of shifts that I, I think are notable if you go back over the last like six years or so. So one is Fox asked a fave unfave of the NRA. And they found that uh, – Today, the NRA is net unfavorable, 42% favorable, 47% unfavorable. Um, and this is sort of the first time that they've been net underwater. Um, but this is In a that poll, in the Fox poll. In the Fox poll. Um, and, but their favorability has never been great. It's just always sort of been middling. I remember um, NBC tested a bunch of different organizations. I think this was two years ago or so. I remember Chuck Todd did a big segment like people are all going to be surprised at how popular both the NRA and Planned Parenthood are because people who oppose them like assume like, oh, everybody understands the you know why I don't like this organization. Um, I remember him like sort of leading with that headline. I was you, not surprised to say. <laughs> you were not surprised. <laughs> but there has been a decline, you know, since if you look back to like 2013, um, the NRA was like a net positive 12 in the Fox poll. Now it's a net negative five. The other thing that shifted in that Fox Fox poll because they have these trend lines over time 
is the uh, banning assault uh, rifles and semi-automatic weapons. This was something that back in 2013, it was a net positive, but of like 12 points. You had 54% favor, 42% oppose. Now, by a 40-point margin, there's favor, um, 67% favor, 27% oppose. Um, so there, there's been some shift in this issue over, if you look over a, a time horizon of about six years in this Fox polling. The other thing that stuck out to me is I still believe it is extremely unlikely that you're going to see the president or the Senate take up anything that would change the types of weapons people can buy, the what, whether it's ammunition or the type of gun. But I think you may see more movement on the who. Um, and I think you, see, if you look at this polling, both the Fox and the Morning Consult polling, you see a pattern where the strongly and somewhat oppose on questions about the who, so stop selling gun- firearms to people who've been convicted of violent misdemeanors, only 9% overall oppose that policy. Require someone to be 21 to purchase a gun, only 12% oppose that policy. Um, if you look at things around like red flag laws, if you look at things like requiring background checks on gun sales, 5% oppose. So all of these questions that are about the who can buy a gun uh, they're ones where there is vanishingly small opposition. It's when you come to the questions about what can you buy that suddenly opposition gets to 20% or higher, which is not a majority. But if you're looking sort of within the Republican coalition, may be big enough to be why you see the president or the Senate sort of reluctant to, to take action. So even though you have a majority in this poll, 70% saying um, that they would support either strongly or somewhat banning assault-style weapons, you have 24% who somewhat are strongly opposed. And that's a very loud piece of the Republican coalition. So I think you are more likely, if you're if you're looking at where these polls are and where the opposition is largest, we're talking differences of single digits versus closer to a quarter. But within the Republican coalition, that's a big enough difference that I think you are more likely to see movement on the who can buy a gun versus the what can you buy. And and I think you, if you really unpack why that would be the case, why would somebody be okay with all of these laws around the who, but not okay with laws around the what can you buy, is if you are somebody who thinks of themselves as a law-abiding gun owner, you may think, look, I'm not going to be affected by the background checks laws. I'm not going to be affected if you're not letting people with mental health red flags buy, buy guns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I would be affected if you said I couldn't buy a certain type of gun. I would be affected if you said I couldn't buy a certain type of ammunition. Um, so if, if we're trying to figure out what's going to happen when Congress comes back and what's the president likely to do, I think it's significantly more likely that you're going to see him move on the who versus the what um, because of even though it's this you know single-digit opposition versus a quarter opposition, within the context of the Republican coalition and where those pressure points are, it's much easier for them to put together support, even among Republicans, for the the who versus the what. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's an interesting and potentially useful conversation, uh, you know, or distinction, I should say. Uh, and, it, you know, it, as you noted, there, I think there's been some more movement on assault weapons ban than, than perhaps the overall kind of gun laws or certainly background checks has always been at 90 some odd percent for you know for a long long time mm-hmm. um but you know if you look at the cross tabs in the morning console poll on assault weapons ban it you know republican women are for it you know and republican men like it's you know 
it's basically half who oppose it. It's not all of them. It's, you know, half and a majority of Republican women support. So if, you know, Republicans looking at this saying, you know, if they if they are not sure how they feel on the merits politically, if you think about sort of the broader tent and gender gap and, you know, suburban women and swing districts and all that stuff that Republicans and Democrats are thinking about kind of on the campaign side, put aside the policy side, uh, you know, Republican women are you know, not with this extreme stance that Republican legislators have had, you know, th- those who have sort of followed the NRA's, uh, you know, playbook. Um, if you look at Republican gun owners, it's, you know, you have 45 percent who support it and half who oppose it. That's not like overwhelming. That's Republican gun owners. So, you know, I, I think that there's an opening. And, you know, there was a time, I'm old enough to remember, where we looked at all this polling, and I'm sure I've said this on the show, where you're like, well, the three-point moves, or people aren't sure what they think about overall gun laws. But if you look at all these different policies, you know, most of them have majority support, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, it's, it's now becoming a lot more clear. And that's not just on the overall, it's not just on a variety of different policies. It's also on like, you know, what causes, like, what might help mass shootings. Now, I just want to have a uh, plant a flag in that there are lots of different kinds of gun violence that are not mass shootings. Mass shootings get attention. Mass shootings drive the news coverage. Mass shootings may end up, you know, changing how our, you know, be the tipping point in how policies are made. But there are tens of thousands of gun deaths every year. They're not all from mass shootings. They're from a variety of other kinds of, you know, gun violence that don't get covered in the same kind of national way. So just to put that aside for a minute, but if you, add, you know, a lot of the questions, my quibble with the public polling on guns is that so much of it focuses on mass shootings and not on some of the rest of it. But still, digression aside, you have, I think, a plurality now, more than previous polls, and everybody asks it differently, saying that gun laws, easy access to guns, you know, are part of the reason that mass shootings happen so frequently. Stricter gun laws would help prevent mass shootings. It used to be that there was more of a, you know, well, this, uh, you know, this is more about video games, this is more about mental health. And it's not that it's not about mental health, um, but, you know, people have mental health challenges around the world. We have a mass shooting problem here in the United States, but none of that's in the question. But I see there's like a little bit of a change in how people view the cause or the actions we could take about mass shootings. And that seems to have tipped also in favor of, you know, taking more action on guns. And you see that in the Fox poll. You see that in the morning console poll. I think it's in Quinnipiac. I'm not sure. But um but it's, you know, it's something that now that you've seen in a couple different outlets that suggest to me that there's also some, you know, new thinking among the voters there, too. The one other thing that, that I would just add on the, you know, talking about things like the assault weapons ban is that on the one hand, there's all of this polling that shows overwhelming support for banning so what I assume people are interpreting is like preventing future purchases of assault weapons. Um, and so, like, let's just take within Quinnipiac. In the Quinnipiac poll, 60 percent support, 36 percent oppose uh, a nationwide ban on the sale of assault weapons. Then when you look at the question of mandatory buyback, which is something that's been more in the news because Beto O'Rourke has come out 
dropping F-bombs and saying this is uh, a policy that he would support, that you would have to have the government sort of requiring people, yeah, you've got to give us your guns. That does not have majority support. And in fact, 56 per, uh, pardon me, 46 percent support, 49 percent oppose. Um, among independents, pretty split, but lean 47 percent support, 49 percent oppose. So there's also a difference on the assault weapons question of would people support preventing future purchases versus what do people think should be done about existing assault-style weapons that people own. And there is a pretty big difference there. That's still the sort of thing where if you're thinking about the politics, it is not hard for me to imagine Republicans running ads where they showcase Beto O'Rourke saying his F-bomb and that he wants to take guns back from people. But that's still an area where in this gun debate, Republicans will feel like they have the upper hand. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, this is like the – a kind of policy version of the like, oh, they're going to come for your guns. You know, the government's going to come take my guns away, right? That sort of rallying cry on the right, that's what this policy sounds like, most explicitly compared to the other policies we've discussed. So, you know, even with that, it's basically evenly divided. Like this is the most aggressive, you know, or the most kind of changing current ownership in a real clear way. And it is still basically evenly divided, 46, 49. Um, so you could, I mean, you could see 46 Huge gender gap on that question. Huge, huge gender, gender Huge gender gap. gap, right. And there's a gender gap in gun ownership. I mean, again, you know, the other thing, I mean, this is true when we talk about like the contraceptive debate, like our, you know, I know that men and women are not monoliths, obviously. I'm fully aware of that. But, you know, you have, like, our political conversation on guns, you know, for so long has been driven by the perception, not even completely the reality, of what gun-owning Republican men think when they are not a majority of the electorate and they're not even monolithic themselves on this. And and so now, you know, thanks to kind of Moms Demand Action and, you know, and young people after Parkland and healthy presidential primary where you have lots of candidates with, you know, very complimentary views on this, you know, you see the conversation moving. But, you know, for a long time, there was a sense that, well, the intensity on the, is so strong on the other side, we can't do anything. We're talking about a very small percent of the population and even among that group not very small but it's not a majority and among that group you know it's not even clear as you know clear about where they stand they're not monoliths you know amongst themselves so i mean the fact that you know white men a third of white men support this you know mandatory buyback for example or 18 percent of republicans i mean i know it's 77 percent opposed but still we're talking about like the government's coming to take my guns away kind of worry. And even with that, you could see this as like, is the glass 46% full or 46% empty, right? I mean, you could look at it kind of either way. So to me, the fact that that's where it is, is, is interesting in itself. So now we've dug deep into this issue. Congress is going to be coming back. We will see if this fall they do, uh, if there's any movement on this issue. Mitch McConnell has signaled he's not going to do anything unless the president says he would sign a bill. So we will see if President Trump winds up coming out with a position on any of this that he wants to move forward on. Um, But there is one thing that we know is coming this fall, and that's pumpkin spice. In fact, pumpkin spice is already here. Starbucks rolled out its first pumpkin spice lattes in August. When we come back, we'll talk about whether it's too early for pumpkin spice to be available. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. 
According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so we're back. And yesterday I got the most incredibly well-timed email and it had like three or four different potential contenders for close of the show. Like one was Labor Day, one was back to school, and one was like your summer vacation plans. I mean, some of them were, you know, maybe should have been sent a little bit earlier this summer. But then the one that I picked, Pumpkin Spice, it was a survey of 750 Americans. I don't know how they were found, but by the Agora USA Online Insights community. I don't, I don't, not totally sure what that is, but the information is handy. I don't know how, well, how we feel about these results, though. The question is, um, when is the right time of year for brands to introduce pumpkin or p- slash pumpkin spice? You know, not to go to, but like pumpkin slash pumpkin spice. Like pumpkin is different. Like when you need your canned pumpkin is different than when you need your pumpkin spice latte. I just want to note there. But at any rate, a majority, 50% said September. So that's right now. said October, 9% said August. You're probably in that camp. 2% said November. That seems too late. And 4% said yuck, never. I would not put myself in the August camp. I would put myself in the September camp. I think August is too early. It's still too hot. It's it's not even Labor Day yet. Um, However... I will say when I went to the grocery store to purchase provisions ahead of my fantasy football draft and the kickoff of college football season and Sam Adams Oktoberfest was available, it made me happy. I was like, okay, it's time. This is the official transition. We're moving into the Oktoberfest beer season. So I was welcoming that as like that is the flavor of beer I want to drink Mm. while I am watching football. Right. So that was okay, but that's different from pumpkin spice. Now, I am not generally a pumpkin spice person. Like every year, the weather gets cool. Like the first day I can wear a sweater, I go and I purchase a pumpkin spice latte and then I like realize that I don't like it and it's way too sweet and it kind of like turns your mouth orange and I'm like, why would you do this? This is gross. Um and I have not yet had that day yet this year, but it's September, so who knows? Maybe I'll walk out of the studio, there's a Starbucks downstairs, and I will pumpkin spice it up. Um, but Margie, so this is me sharing memes with you. Are you familiar with the concept of Christian Girl Autumn? No. Okay. So it's a meme you should familiarize yourself with. There was, I guess this summer has been uh, termed hashtag hot girl summer. There's a song. Right. It's a whole thing. I'm not going to go into explaining it. just... It's the idea that live your best life, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, 
You can wake up having a great day. You're having hot girl summer. Uh, Christian Girl Autumn was somebody tweeted that that's like the next step. And it was a picture of these like two girls in the like oversized scarves with like the boots and the, the you know, vest uh, and like long curly hair. And they're holding their pumpkin spice latte. And they, you know, they look very like every girl I knew in college. Um, and so this is now like the, the transition from uh, hot girl summer to like. Christian girl autumn like she just looks like she's on her way to Bible study right you know with her like cozy her cozy fleece or whatever um that that meme began in August so I don't know if that suggests that like the pumpkin spice is acceptable in August that we now have a meme about it Hmm. but memes do not necessarily signal it's time to consume the thing being memed about it's just too hot Uh, uh, in August (laughs) and early September I want corn tomato eggplants zucchini Maybe squeeze a couple more like watermelons and cantaloupes into the into the mix. Peaches, like that's what I want. I am not ready for sweet potatoes and pumpkin. There will be plenty of time. Speaking of corn, before we we bounce out of this episode, I, I just have to say, Elote is like following me around now. Really? <laughs> like literally everywhere I go. I am seeing it on menus and I'm like, this is just the universe trying to (laughs) persuade me that I was wrong. And I am stubborn and I refuse to accept that I was wrong. My objection is not to elote. My objection is to mayonnaise on corn on the cob, which I believe is is fundamentally a different But that is part of elote. Like that is how all the fixings get stuck to the corn. Oh, the butter. messaging has not improved. The messaging has butter not improved. Is not, that's how you get like a loaded, a loaded corn on the cob. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I just kind of did that. I was sort of like trolling, trolling you slightly and sort of trolling myself as sort of. Well, the universe is now trolling me because it is everywhere. It is everywhere. Yeah. Well, now you're on the cutting edge of a food trend. <laughs> the bleeding edge. You heard it here first. Um, so, okay, so uh, tell us what you think. We learned this week. Tell us what you think of our new format of focusing on one issue uh, and doing a little bit of a deep dive. And, um, you know, if you have ideas for what we're doing next, although we're responding basically to what we see in the news, but if you have suggestions, we'd love to hear them. And write us reviews. They've been really great. We love them. Kristen, what is on the trend line? And what ha- what what happened with uh, Patrick from Monmouth and who's on this week? Uh, so the interview with Patrick from Monmouth was great. And the big news that I was so excited about that he – I don't know if he it counts as he broke the news on the show. But he said that they are doing an experiment right now where they are doing polls in the early states. But they are also doing online polls in the early states. So we'll be able to see, like, mm. when will online polling become part or – how public-facing outlets are doing research in the Iowas and the New Hampshires of the world. I am so excited for this. That's cool. Um, so, yeah. So, t- Trendline, tune in. Um, 10 a.m. on Saturdays. It is errand running time if you're in your car. So, tune in. It's good times. Great. Thanks, everyone. Bye.